0: Well, it's great to be here this morning. I just want to make reference to something from last week. I, uh, to piggyback onto Joe's message last week, and Joe very uh, ably last week spoke on repentance. And I found something this morning. It just caught my eye literally before I was going to leave uh, the house uh, to come to the meeting this morning. And it was just an example, I thought, of, of repentance, that uh, it was it was just a thing that came off the news wire this morning. So I thought I'd read it. it. Is actually talking about repentance uh, being birthed by the Spirit of God. So this is in this morning in Yahoo News, um, and it was a letter from a thief uh, to the owner of the gray and red Trek hybrid bicycle. Uh, I have been laid off for two years and have been struggling with addiction off and on. I have been praying that someone would stop me. And the Portland police finally did. <laughs> Portland, Oregon. I am grateful because I have been sick literally every day for months because I don't like who I am when I'm doing this. Uh, included with my apology is $10 from my pocket to cover the cost of your cable. Uh, he broke, he cut the cable lock. Um, I am more than sorry for taking your bike, and I hope you'll forgive me and maybe pray for me. Very sincerely, P.S., buy a U lock. (laughs) It's always good when the thief gives you a little bit of advice, but I thought that was pretty appropriate. But there's an example of true repentance. At least we don't know the whole story, but I thought that was quite fitting in relation to what Joe spoke about last week. Because repentance is not just being sorry for something, repentance is actually, well, it's being sorry for something. And it's then doing something about it. And this guy did something about it. He even gave 10 bucks to cover the cost for the broken cable that he did. This morning, we're going to take a look at uh, a, really an account that I think probably all of us, even if you're not a Christian here this morning, you would have heard of this one. Uh, it's actually recounted in all four of the Gospels and the Scriptures in front of you. I'm going old school this morning, so I have my notes here, but I don't have them up there. Is that all right with you guys? And so I'm going old school and we're going to read the baptism of Jesus from Matthew chapter three and I will start right there and then we're going to move on. OK, so verses 13 to 17, it says that when Jesus or then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's to the Jordan River, to John, that's John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, but I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John the Baptist, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. I just want to pray for a moment, and then we're going to get right into it this morning. So Father, we thank you this morning. And God, all I ask this morning is that I represent your word. And God, that I represent your intentions. And Father, would you help me, Lord, this morning to be clear. Help me, God, uh, just to speak as you would have me speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night, the Yankees lost. Yes, because I dislike the Yankees very strongly. That's the Christian way of saying it. I hate them. I don't like the Yankees. I don't like anything in pinstripes. Got that, Ollie. Don't... You didn't have pins. So he had, don't know what that was. But anyway, the Yankees lost last night. But just like the Yankees so often do, they were down 4 nothing in the bottom of the ninth. in the bottom of the ninth to the Detroit Tigers. And wouldn't you know it, Ichiru comes up and hits a triple or a double or whatever, or scores two runs, so it's 4-2 in the bottom of the ninth. And then Raul Ibanez comes up and hits a two-run shot out of the park to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth. Now, fortunately, the Yankees lost in the 12th, which makes me able to relate this story all the more because I wouldn't even want to talk about it if they had won. But here's what the announcer said when Raul hit the home run. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, was, I watched the highlights this morning. I said, what? And he says this. As the ball goes over the fence, he goes, and just yelling it out, he goes, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, it's what? think about it. This overpaid, I might add overweight, (laughs) Yankee, hits a home run out of the, hits, think about this, hits a ball, a little ball wrapped in leather sewn up with cork in the middle of it with a bat that's made of wood. He stands there and he happens to, happens to connect right? Just gets it right. And the ball, because it does what a ball will do, observing Newton's law of motion. Which one is it, Gord? Take your pick. Second, probably. Yeah. Anyway, and the ball will do naturally what it's going to do. It really literally has really nothing to do with what Raul did. And the ball goes over the fence if that's the most incredible thing this guy's ever seen, that's sad. That is sad. But I might say this. If you, like me, I'm going to give away my age, remember watching live Paul Henderson score against the Russians in 1972 on that September afternoon to win the... the, uh, the Canada. what was it the the summit series if that was the most incredible thing that you or me has ever seen that's sad too but what's really incredible is what these guys observed the day that jesus was baptized and what they heard that day now that's justification that's justification to say this is the most incredible thing i've ever seen You see, because first point, number one, radio silence has been broken. God, for the first time in 400 years, breaks his silence. For the first time in 400 years, we hear from God. In fact, John the Baptist, it was prophesied. In fact, what's really cool is the very last couple of sentences in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi... And we're talking here chronologically, the last thing that is written in the Old Testament prior to the New Testament canon are these words. It says in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn, get this, the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to, to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. That's the last lines of chronologically of the Old Testament. And John the Baptist is this Elijah prophet. Is this Elijah prophet. And so all of a sudden, 400 years later, we see God speaking. Amazing. But let's go back a little further than that and see what precipitated god's silence you see because it wasn't just about god not speaking from the time of malachi to the time of the new testament when jesus was born you got to go back further You go back to genesis and back to the garden and adam and eve walking together with god speaking to him as a friend they had close fellowship together they're made in the image of god they were they were like god they had, they could, I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like at their time to be, I, I can't even, I can't get my head around that one. But they were made in the image of God. and They walked with God and they knew him as a friend. Then Satan disguised as a serpent, tempted them into thinking that they were in fact not like God at all and appealing to their pride, tricked them into thinking that he held the seeker to their truly being like God. And breaking the only principle, breaking the only thing that God said for them not to do, their fellowship was broken with God. And all of a sudden, they didn't hang with him anymore like they were. They were banished from their previously holy or set-apart life with God outside of his presence. Close communication and friendship was lost. And the rest of the Old Testament history is the story of God reestablishing or in establishing a process to restore friendship with mankind. So the rest of the Old Testament is like that. You see, we're all descended from Adam. And in his line, and as a result, we inherit separation from God because of Adam. He's our father. He's the first, and we inherit this, this separation from God. But God's intention has been to re himself with his people, all people, everybody. And Joe, very, very beautifully, a few weeks ago, illustrated this in expressing to us that God wishes to tabernacle or to presence himself with us, and that's his heart. And so he gave us a little review. He says, you go back to Eden. That was like the first tabernacle. That was like the first, the first, that was an instance of God's presence was there. And they could be with him. And then we went from there to the tent of meeting. We, I'm not going to go into all the details. You should actually, really seriously, you should listen to that message if you weren't here a few weeks ago and check it out. But God presenced himself with his people temporarily in the desert, in a tent, in a box. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But that's what he did. That's what he did. And then we went from there to the the temple. And so this building was built. And inside the building, there were smaller compartments in the building. And then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain, there was a box. And he was in the box. I don't get that. And once per year, the high priest would go in. And he would make a sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the people. Blood needed to be shed. It was a serious business. You see, God won't be trifled with. And so something had to be done. There's life in the blood. There's life in the blood. And so blood needed to be shed so they could be covered for one more year. This was seen as a foreshadow of what was to come in Jesus. So, how did God communicate with mankind? Well, He did it at a distance, it wasn't radio silence. But he did it at a distance, and he used various people at various times for various purposes. And so you can think about who they might be, certainly Moses. Think about David. Think of the judges. At various times, at various places, and for purposes that were God's purposes, he would speak. Great deeds were done. Many fantastic things were accomplished. But generally speaking, regular people like me and you, we could not have hoped for a regular relationship with God in an intimate manner, like we have today, this even this morning, worshiping God. And even if you're a, a person that say, you know, what? I'm really not a Christian. I don't even know why I'm here. Well, I know why you're here because you wouldn't be here if it wasn't in God's purposes. But if you're not a Christian this morning, you may have picked up something this morning. Some people would call it, you know, positive energy. You may think of it as I was told once at a party. I was sitting around, I was standing around a party, and I was having a drink, and all these people were milling around. It was a really busy party, and I was just being me. I was just being me. And this woman came up to me, and she said, you have an aura about you. I said, I do, and she said, Yes, you do. You have a very strong aura, and I can sense these things. And she started to tell me about these crystals and all this stuff, and I said, you know, really, if you sense anything at all, you're sensing what I believe to be the Holy Spirit because uh, uh, he lives in my life. That's, that's the aura. So, you know, we admit we something, right? So, but then the people would not have had a prayer to have this, it indi- was foreign to them. Then after a period of a few thousand years, hundreds of specific pro- uh, prophetic words and promises, after seeing God's people through with the symphony of history mounting to a climax, nothing. The people go into exile, and then there's nothing. 400 years. The story doesn't end well in the Old Testament. It's nothing by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. There's nothing. And so silence. Until John the Baptist. He proclaims God's message of repentance as a prophet and the imminence of the Messiah who would save the people from their sins. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just a prophet. It doesn't end with just... A prophet speaking for God. You see, John was the guy the crowds were wondering about. Is he the one? Is he the one? And there was this, at that time, there was, this, there was this sense of expectancy in the air because the Holy Spirit does stuff. He stirs up a sense of expectancy, and there was that at the time. And all of a sudden, here we are john the baptist is doing what god has called him to do proclaiming repentance and what happens is is jesus comes along his cousin who he would have known about but he wouldn't have known that he was the messiah so to speak he wouldn't have known that he was the perfect one but he did recognize that he was in a sense cleaner than he was he says you know this guy's coming who I'm not even worthy of untie his sandals. And today, you know we that, that comparison might be lost on us because we all wear footwear, most of us wear pretty nice footwear and we have socks. But back then, you gotta know that with the roads the way they were and the, the fact they didn't have good clean ways to dispose of sewage, that you gotta know that your feet aren't gonna be the most clean things going. But yet He says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. The first words uttered by God are not spoken to a prophet to be repeated. No, they're uttered by God himself. And it's a watershed moment in the history of mankind. It's the most incredible thing these people have ever seen. Anybody, anybody has ever heard the most... It's the affirmation of God's son who would be the reconciliation of all men and women to the Father. It was likely heard by everybody there. Commentators would agree with that. At least John heard the voice. But I just have to think. I have no way to back this up other than what commentators will tell me. But I've got to think. You know what? It's like, if radio silence is broken, it's not going to be like, hey, John, this is my son. It's going to be like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It was broadcasted. Radio silence is broken. You see, they would have gotten it. The voice, the voice, identifies Jesus as the promised servant and son. In Isaiah 42, you see, they would know this. All these people are coming out of the woodwork to be baptized by John the Baptist. There's, the Holy Spirit is moving. There's a preparation that's already been taking place. But they would recognize this. When they heard the voice, they would recognize Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. They would have remembered, they would know, like they these people were not, these people were people that were responding to God's call to repent. They would have been people who would have understood their word see that same voice still echoes today in the pages of god's word for us so the times were a time of anticipation the people were clearly in an attitude of expectancy and desperation for deliverance 400 years they were under an oppressive roman government i don't know what that would be like maybe if i was living in syria i might have a clue Michael Green, he says this. The unthinkable was taking place. Jews in their hundreds were taking the unprecedented steps of following John into the waters of the Jordan, confessing national and personal sins and calling on God to cleanse them and make them fit for his kingdom. Not since the days of Ezra, the days of the rebuilding in Jerusalem, coming back from captivity. And perhaps not even then had there been such a national turning towards God. The time was ripe and Jesus came forward to join others in the water of baptism. So radio silence is been broken. But well, what's the purpose? Number two, Jesus was being revealed. This was Jesus' coming out party. He'd been hidden for 30 years. But he's not coming out as a king. He's coming out as a servant. In fact, he's coming out as a servant who would suffer. He was coming out. He didn't need to be baptized. John says, "Why why am I baptizing you? Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He needed no cleansing for sin or repentance. But he did this to show his identification with us. At long last, we have a Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's saying, you know what? I've come here to be with you. I've come here. I've come here. To to presence myself with you, not just at a distance, not as a king, but as a servant. The scriptures over and over again speak to the fact that the Savior would come to serve us. Imagine that. Jesus still does that today. Some of you may know that from about May until about the end of July, I had a pretty tough go. I haven't broadcasted it, but... I had a pretty tough time, personally, and it was—it sometimes more than I could bear, and it made me question so many things about myself. And I, and I it was really kind of one of those things. That, so God, I—I I, I think I already had my identity crisis. I don't know why I have to have another one, and but nevertheless, it was very difficult. And just before we left for Cuba on our on our on our uh, vacation a good friend of mine we were having a chat one evening and and I wasn't at a you know I, I wasn't in a strong place I, I mean don't get me wrong I wasn't I wasn't involved in in in, in sin or anything like that. it wasn't that it was just I was burnt I was burnt out it'd been extremely difficult a couple of years some of you know my story um, and and somehow the weight of everything just seemed to all of a sudden hit, and I knew I was in trouble because on the last day of work, I remember sitting at a red light on Union Street and I fell asleep. And I said, oh, you know, ding, 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 ding. Gary, do you think you might have a problem? And so I was sitting with my friend and we were chatting one evening and, and uh, he was about to leave. And he said, oh, he said, I just, he says, I feel like God has spoken to me for you. I said, oh, Do tell. I'm all ears, right? And so, you know, I, my faith level was a bit ebbed. But then he just looked at me and he said, Jesus wants to ask you a question. He wants to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He said, this is Jesus. He said, I saw Jesus asking this question. How might I serve you this summer? And I was like I said thank you and it didn't really hit me until later on what kind of question that was. How can I serve you this summer? The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. So often we think about how we can serve Jesus. But the fact remains is that Jesus comes to serve us. And you know what? I knew that That was like when I heard that question, God. I know that God had spoken to me through that through that that word from my friend, and and I I went to Cuba, trying to answer it, having the courage to answer. But Jesus, how can you serve me? And when you're at a loss to answer that question, it makes you reevaluate your whole the whole way you look at Jesus. And I've been able to answer that. you would be glad to know. How would you answer that question today? Because Jesus actually is asking you, how can I serve you today? How can I serve you? If you can't come up with something immediately, that's okay. But it might tell us something about how we look at our relationship with God. Right? You know... I'm not going to charge you any extra for that. That's just a bunny trail. <laughs> the voice of servitude is very humbling and it's very disarming. It takes your defenses down. John 13.6, Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Philippians 2.7, it says that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Matthew twenty twenty eight, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Second Corinthians five twenty one, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin knew no sin. So for our sake, God made him to be sin, Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 2.17, but there is one man who is just like us, only perfect. He had to be made like his brothers, like us, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to satisfy the wrath of God. Because we're separated from him. Sin separates. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. This is the Jesus that came to be baptized. This is the Jesus who came to serve. This is the Jesus who bears all of our temptation. He, he knows. He's been there He's been tempted. If you, if you sit here this morning and say, you know what, well, Jesus was never tempted with what I'm tempted. Yes, he was. The Bible says that. I believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted. You see, Jesus not just was human, but he's God. And so even though there wasn't internet porn back then, he was tempted by it. He was tempted by lust. He was tempted by all kinds of things. He was tempted the most difficult things that you could imagine, things that we'll never be tempted with. But he was tempted, yet did not fall. The only time Jesus fell was when he was carrying the weight of our cross. <laughs> the, the burden of our sin forced him to his knees a number of times in the way to Calvary. And there he was, being nailed to the cross, taking the entire load of sin on his shoulders, taking everything. And actually, the Bible says, becoming. Sin. Becoming sin. You see, because Jesus had to become sin. He had to become sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. I can't wrap my head around that. But Jesus takes it all on his shoulders. And as theologians would say, the great exchange takes place. It is finished. And the curtain is torn from the top to the bottom, and the separation that we would have experienced is over. It's Torn from the top to the bottom to make sure that it's understood that it was God that did it, not anybody else. The six-inch curtain was not torn by men trying to to prop up some false idea, but the curtain was torn top to bottom, was rent in two, and the holy of holies was laid bare and laid open for us and we can boldly approach our Savior. We can boldly approach him. We can worship God like we did this morning, like we can do 24-7. And we have a Savior that is so wonderful. He asks us this morning, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? That is probably one of the most difficult questions I've been asked. It still gets me. and you know what we need to be bold enough to answer it because we can approach the throne without any hindrance we can approach him without any th- no barriers we can approach him for us this points to the themes of repentance in in this baptismal story there's a lot packed in here it points to the themes of repentance forgiveness of sins establishment of relationship with god the gift of the spirit and the mark of sonship. See, because number three, this is an in, in internal work. This is an internal work. There finally is a way. There's finally a way to repent, and actually have victory, and not repeat the history of Israel, because they they fell into cyclical sin all the time. They would they would fall. They would repent when they were called by a prophet and then they would get back up and then they would fall and they would repent and they would get back up again. And God would preserve them through it. But there's finally a way where repentance can happen. We can turn from our sin and by the power of the Spirit, we have victory over it and we don't have to go through that cycle anymore. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, "Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will what? Forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. To truly have the power to overcome now, not by external laws, but by an internal tacit ability given by the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, when he went to be baptized, the voice, behold my son, whom I'm well pleased. But the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Does that mean Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit? No. Nope he's God. He had the Holy Spirit. He was without sin. But it's a revelation around that Jesus is God's son. John is saying, I can call you to repentance and I can convict you of sin and I can baptize you, but it's all just external. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Though fully man and fully God, Jesus submitted himself to the confines of flesh, but he relied on the Spirit's power in his day-to-day life. He had the Spirit. The Spirit is revealed. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes us a Christian. When you become a Christian, it's about repentance. Yes, it's about what Joe was talking about. It's about the guy returning the bike. You make the step. But as you turn... As you're going one way and you turn to make the move to go the other way. Really, it's just the decision to turn that is ours. Because then the Holy Spirit comes and gives us the enablement to make the change. That's the difference. That's the difference between the Old Testament, the old story, and the new, the good news. That's the difference between the two. The Holy Spirit is he, Jesus says, is not it. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's not a force. He has force, but he's not defined by force. He's a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, causes us to be born again. And John is pointing to Jesus. And Jesus, by his baptism, is showing us that we can embrace repentance. He gives us conviction of sin, the Holy Spirit. He gives us a love for Jesus. The Bible says no one can say Jesus is Christ, is Lord, but without the Holy Spirit, or but by the Holy Spirit. He seals us for salvation. He guarantees our inheritance with God. He gifts us for ministry. He gives us gifts. Not just for a Sunday morning. He gives us gifts. He guarantees our inheritance. He sanctifies us. He matures us. You can go to church you can read your bible you can pray your prayers but if you don't have the spirit you're not born again we're born again when we recognize the fact that we're separated from god that we're tired of doing it by ourselves that we're like a squirrel in a wheel trying to make progress and we can't and we say i've had enough i can't do it anymore jesus i need you i recognize you as god i recognize you as 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 the savior of the world you rose from the dead i recognize you as that person would you come and change my life? And when we say that, and we mean it with our heart, Jesus, by his Spirit, comes into our life. Change happens. It's not all at once, perhaps, but we're so then, the Bible talks about us being saved. We're born again, we experience a new birth. You're not belonging to God in a saving, you're, you're now belonging to God in a saving, eternal ma- manner. You may, have, you may just be externally religious, but not internally saved. You may go through the motions. That's what John's getting at. John's saying, I'm preparing you for him, but he's so much greater than I am. He's the only one that can really change you from the inside out. He takes a heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh, like I read in that prophecy from Jeremiah. He takes out the rebellion and he gives you submission. Who ever heard of submission outside of Jesus? Submission is the dirtiest word in the world. Why? Because Jesus is a stumbling block. Submission is part and parcel of the kingdom. Submission, we submit to the king. We submit willingly because we know that he has our best interest at heart. He knows our best interest even though we may not. He's the only one who can do that. We need to wait for this Jesus. These people were waiting. Religion basically says work really hard try your best and then at the end of your life maybe god will say i now adopt you i'll now love you i'm pleased with your life it doesn't work that way our god is a god of grace he reveals himself as a father and our relationship with him begins with love and approval and affection jesus didn't have to do anything as my friend pete linden would say he didn't have to do anything to be thought of as approved he was hidden for 30 years he didn't do anything He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you know Jesus today, guess what? The same thing applies to you. God says to you, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Actually, your daughters, your sons. Our relationship is one of love, approval, and affection. Affection, folks, affection. He he loves me. Think about it, We can actually embrace repentance with joy. That's the turning away from sin, because the good news is, is now that we have an internal mechanism in the Holy Spirit that gives us strength to do it, that's the difference. So when, when we're convicted of sin and we know we need to repent, you know what? It's difficult, but we should embrace it, because we can do so knowing that God is going to set us free. If you're in Christ, you're beloved, you're a son father's pleased with you that's your relate where your relationship starts if you don't know jesus you repent of sin you say you know what i'm tired of doing this by myself trust in jesus receive his spirit this is a supernatural thing and you enjoy the adoption as a child of god the bible talks about you know what it's because of the spirit that we can say daddy We can say that we have a dad. We can say, dad, it's because of the spirit. So we'll end today with the prophetic voice of the Old Testament. We'll go back to Isaiah again in 42. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it, and spirit to those who walk in it. He says this, I am the Lord. And he talks about Jesus. He says, I have called you in righteousness. God is talking about Jesus here. He's not talking about you. He's not talking about me. He says, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to do something for us. Here's where it goes. I love it. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison those who sit in darkness. Because I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory I will give to no other. nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's stand. And I just want to, without any, without the worship team, without anything, I just want to take a moment and pray into that, if you will. And I turn things over to Joe. But This morning, I just really believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking here. And it's the Spirit of Jesus, as the Bible says. And perhaps this morning, you don't know this Jesus. But this morning, you've said, you know what? I can't do this by myself anymore and I find myself in this place and I need, I need to have peace in my heart. I need to know that I have a father who loves me. Maybe, maybe you feel like your earthly father didn't love you or didn't show his love to you in a way that is appropriate. But this father says, I am your dad. He says, I'm the one who came, sent my son for you so we could have a relationship, so I could love on you. Maybe you're outside, you say, you know what, I want this Jesus. I need, I need to have a change in my life. My life is going in one direction, but I recognize I need to go in another direction, and I want this power that you spoke about this morning in the Holy Spirit. I want to be changed. If that's you this morning, please just close your eyes. Let's just respect everybody around. If that's you this morning, you say, I want to follow Jesus. I've never followed Jesus before. I want to do that. Just raise your hand. I want to see it. I want to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. If that's you this morning. I, say, I want to follow Jesus. Perhaps you're someone here this morning. You've been a Christian for a short time, a long time, and perhaps you've you've been caught up in religious activity, or maybe you've just not seeing things the way that you've seen them this morning, to know that Jesus comes to serve you in the proper perspective. If that's you this morning and you say, you know what, I need to be bold to to answer that question, and I've been challenged with that this morning, and I need his spirit to help me understand just how good my dad is. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. We're going to pray for you. A number of people putting up their hands this morning. So, yeah, I want to I want, to ask, I want to tell Jesus somehow how he can serve me. What an amazing thing, amazing truth. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, I just need to be filled with the Spirit. I just want to go in the power of God. I want to, I want to be an influence wherever I go. I want to be that person. I want to be that one. If that's you this morning, you want to be filled with the Spirit, just slip your hand right up real quick. Yeah? A whole bunch of hands going up. People love Jesus. All right. So let's pray this morning. Father, we just love you. We say, God, that we adore you this morning. There's no one like you. Father, you take us from where we're at. Lord Jesus, this morning. Would you help us to answer that question? Because you are asking us this morning, How can I serve you? Lord, give us the courage and give us Lord, give us something to chew on this week, this month. Let us Let us utter how you can serve us. I just feel like Jesus is saying this morning, with that, I want to serve your deepest needs. I want to serve you in your deepest areas of needs. And you can come to me boldly, and you can tell me how I can serve you, and I will serve you. Maybe you just want to be filled with the Spirit this morning. I'm just going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, you're faithful. You're true. And we just put our hands up and God, we just say, Would you fill us with your spirit? Father, we would have a deeper understanding. Just ask him. Say, Father, would you fill me with your spirit? I need you. I need to be, I wanna be everything that you've intended for me to be. I wanna, I wanna serve you with my whole heart. And God, I wanna I wanna be I wanna be that guy. I wanna be that woman who just says, you know what, I I will stand on this and I will do no other. I want to be with you. Come and do it, Lord. Help us, oh God. Fill us, Lord. Give us courage. Give us courage to step forward in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.